0: To the Once Again Podcast, we are your hosts Ashley and Jason. In this episode, we'll be looking at the 1977 film Pete's Dragon. In this series, we won't be doing a deep analysis of the film or giving a bunch of behind-the-scenes facts, but rather giving our impressions of the overall film and the songs from the film. We'll also be giving a score to the film and ranking the songs. So grab some popcorn, sit back, and enjoy this episode. Pete's Dragon is a 1977 American live-action animated musical fantasy film, directed by Don Chafee, produced by Jerome Cortland and Ron Miller, and written by Malcolm Morriston, based on the unpublished short story Pete's Dragon and the USA Forever After by Stetton I. Miller and S.S. Field. The project was initially conceived in 1957 as a two-part episode of the Disneyland television series but it was shelved until it was revised as a musical film in 1975. Perhaps it should have stayed shelved, um, but we'll get into it. The film was released on November 3rd, 1977 to mixed reviews from critics, though some praised the animation. It was a moderate financial success with a budget of $10 million, or $49 million today, and a grossing of $18 million, or $88 million today. The film received two nominations at the 50th Academy Awards for musical scoring and original song. Capitol Records released a single of Helen Reddy performing Candle on the Water with a different arrangement from that in the film that reached number 27 on the adult contemporary charts. Pete's Dragon premiered on November 3, 1977 at Radio City Music Hall for its intended roadshow theatrical release in which the film ran 134 minutes. For its general release, it was edited down to 121 minutes. It was later re-released on March 9, 1984, shortened from 121 minutes to 104 minutes. Still too long. (laughs) The film was released on VHS in 1980. It was re-released on VHS on October 28, 1994, as part of the Masterpiece Collection. It was originally slated to be released in the Walt Disney Gold Classic Collection lineup on December 5th, 2000, but it was pushed back to January 16th, 2001. The DVD includes bonus features such as two animated shorts, Lighthouse Keeping and Man, and Monsters and Mysteries, and two uh, vintage uh, excerpts from the Disney Family Album episode on Ken Anderson and the Plausible Impossible from Disneyland, and both theatrical trailers for the film. The film was re-released in a high-flying edition DVD on uh, on August 18, 2009. The DVD included a half-hour documentary featurette, a deleted storyboard sequence, original demo recordings of the songs, and several bonus features transferred from the Gold Classic Collection release. It was re-released on the 35th anniversary edition Blu-ray on October 16th, 2012, which just makes me sad that uh, 1977 <laughs> and 2012 are only 35 years apart, because I remember 2012 and 1977 seems so long ago, but eh. All right. It was
1: edited by Gordon D. Brenner. Music by Erwin Kostel. Production company was Walt Disney Productions, distributed by Buena Vista Distribution. The runtime is 128 minutes. Way too long, in my opinion. Starring Helen Reddy as Nora, Jim Dale as Dr. Terminus, Mickey Rooney as Lampy, Red Buttons as Hoagie, Shelley Winters as Lena Gogan, Sean Marshall as Pete, Jane Keen as Miss Romy Taylor, Jim Backus as the mayor of Passamaquoddy, Charles Tyner as Merle Gogan, Gary Morgan as Grover Gogan, Jeff Conway as Willie Gogan, Cal Bartlett as Paul, Charlie Callis as the voice of Elliot the Dragon, and Walter Barnes as captain of the ship.
0: Very nice. I was thinking that maybe you would call uh, Jim Backus the mayor of Passamaquoddy, Passama Passamaquoddy, <laughs> yeah, that's no, but because the song that listened yeah. in everything, uh, I actually did enjoy that song when we get to it. But to,
1: to be fair, uh, one of my notes about Passamaquoddy is a, what a name for a town oh, because, yeah. like, I think that's like one of the like high points of this film. Is the
0: <laughs> I have to agree, but let's <laughs> let's dive into the plot. A young orphan named Pete is fleeing his abusive foster family, the Gogans while seemingly able to fly. As they pursue him, an unseen force, which Pete calls Elliot, distracts them. And here we have the song Happiest Home in These Hills, sung by Shelley Winters, Charles Tinner, Gary Morgan, and Jeff Conaway. And I I wrote down, wow, not exactly a strong start to the film. I get what it was going for. It's comedic, and the off-key singing is intentionally done. But still, I'm not a fan. 3.5 out of 10.
1: I gave it a 4 out of 10. It's not a good song. It's not a strong start. And like, literally, I was already confused. I was like, I don't really remember this movie. But I was already like, oh, I don't like wherever this is going. Lord.
0: Yeah, and it only keeps getting worse, (laughs) It really does. Um, Lena, her husband, Merle, and their sons, Grover and Willie, are determined to find Pete. Because in Lena's own words... We paid $50 for that kid, and we ain't got 50 more. <laughs> the lazy, inept, and constantly bickering Grover and Willie are told by their equally hellish parents that if we don't get him back, you two boys are going to have uh, to start working on the farm with your own two hands. The next morning, Pete and Elliot, revealed to be a dragon, share breakfast and decide to visit a nearby town called Passamaquoddy. Due to the clumsy antics of the Invisible Elliot, uh, Elliot, Pete is labeled a source of ill luck and runs away to avoid being detained by the furious townspeople. And here we have the song, Bop, 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 I Love You Too, in parentheses, uh, sung by Sean Marshall and Charlie Callis. And I wrote down, I don't think the off-key singing here was on purpose. That being said, it's an improvement over the last song, and with a better singer, it probably would have gotten a better score for me, so I gave it a 5 out of 10.
1: Yep, I gave it a 5 out of 10 as well. It's okay. an
0: okay song. Yeah, this is, this is the song that I most clearly remembered from the movie. I, I watched this movie a lot as a kid, and I really liked it as a kid, so watching it this time and being disappointed in it was very disappointing for me. And I also have a note here that I wrote that Elliot's design is very similar to The Reluctant Dragon, something that I never noticed before.
1: To be fair, we didn't really... I'm sure we never really watched the reluctant dragon either no. one of us. So. Yeah.
0: Lampy, the, ho- the lighthouse keeper, stumbles out of the tavern and encounters Pete. A mischievous Elliot makes himself visible to him, and he, terrified, runs into the saloon to warn the townspeople. His capable daughter, Nora, takes him back to their home, the local lighthouse, uh, settles him down and puts him to bed. And here we have the song, I Saw a Dragon, sung by Mickey Rooney. Helen Reddy and an ensemble. And I wrote that it's all right, and nothing special. Perhaps Lampy and Nora are early inspirations for Maurice and Belle, because we have a drunk yes. father here and everything. But another live action Disney movie with a dance sequence that goes on for far too long. And I gave it a 4 out of 10.
1: I gave it a 6 out of 10. I actually like the song a little bit. And you're right, though, the dance sequence goes on. Like, I was like, oh, here we go. With yeah. Damned dance sequences again that we don't need. Like, this, this is was, longer this, than step in time is, or
0: anything this,
1: yeah. I, I was telling jason that my first reaction seeing this movie was two hours was ugh, two yeah. hours yeah like i was not thrilled to have to sit through that and i think things like the dance sequence eat that out and we got a nice like tidy movie like this yeah uh, we'll get there <laughs> this
0: this was longer than step in time or uh i don't remember the one from um bed knobs and broomsticks that went on for too long but like it's another one that has a way too long dance sequence and this one is especially because they're supposed to be drunk sailors in a bar like okay maybe they'll dance for like five minutes but they want to get back to drinking (laughs) yeah and
1: like even you know i think of things like guest on like that song doesn't go on that long and like it's it almost fits the same like vibe of like we're in a tavern and there's people singing. Like
0: And Gaston, the dancing happens while the singing's happening. Yeah. It's not like they sing the, the song and then... The singing doesn't pause halfway yeah.
1: through the song. Yeah. yeah,
0: exactly. But meanwhile, in a seaside cave, Pete rebukes Elliot for causing trouble. As they make up, Nora appears, having spotted Pete earlier. She offers him shelter and they talk. Pete is inquisitive and soon learns the story of Nora's fiancé, Paul, whose ship was reported lost at sea. He promises to ask Elliot about Paul, and she accepts, believing Elliot to be an imaginary friend. And here we have the song It's Not Easy, sung by Sean Marshall and Helen Reddy. And I wrote, All Right Song Again, but Nothing Special. Maybe a Modern Twist would be better. Five out of ten.
1: Yeah, I gave it a. Where is it? Four out of ten. Mm. Four out
0: of ten. Yeah. The next morning, Dr. Terminus, a medicine showman, and his assistant, Hoagie, Uh, haphazardly arrive and manage to win over the gullible townspeople who are initially angered by their return and i wrote a note here saying that poor man's fence first elliot and now dr terminus they both knocked down this guy's (laughs) fence when they showed up in the town and we have the song passamaquoddy sung by jim dale red buttons and an ensemble and i wrote that it's probably the funniest song so far but yet again it went on for too long four out of ten
1: Yep, gave it a 4 out of 10. Went yeah. on too long. I think that's the, like, thing of this is all the songs are not that good, and then they go on too long. and
0: Yeah, Disney needed to get the Sherman Brothers back and tighten up the songs tighten for this. Tighten everything but... up.
1: Like, nothing was tight in this movie. It was all, like, yeah, weirdly haphazard and long. Like, even a lot of the, like, sequences, like the children doing stuff, it's, again, just these sequences don't need to be going that long.
0: Did you know, this, I, I had to look it up, but this is the same Jim Dale that narrated the Harry Potter audiobooks oh yeah and i was just fa- yeah, he. i was fascinated because obviously he's doing an american accent here but he's actually british and i he does an impressive american accent in my opinion Interesting. i do have a note about it later but we'll uh we'll discuss that when it comes up that evening pete visits elliot and nora thanks lampy for pretending that elliot exists he insists he actually saw him and she tells him to be realistic to which he retorts that her hoping for paul's return is just as unrealistic He apologizes for his outburst and excuses himself, giving her time to think. And here we have Candle on the Water, sung by Helen Reddy, and I wrote Could Be a Song on the Radio, yet again, nothing really that impressive. It sounds like a bad ABBA song to me, so I gave it a 6 out of 10.
1: I gave it a 5 out of 10. Like, this is the song I know that people, like, talk about from this movie, but Mm -hmm. that's all I, like, got to go on. Yeah. Like...
0: Like I said, I think it sounds like a bad Ava song. Like, dan- like they'd have Dancing Queen and all those other... Like, well, they
1: said a... It, it was not your notes earlier that they did, like, a redid a version that's yeah. not the same, like...
0: Yeah, it got number 27. Number 27, but, yeah. so,
1: like, clearly this is a very popular song. Just yeah. not from the movie, necessarily.
0: At the tavern, Lampy tells Dr. Terminus and Hoagie about Elliot. Dr. Terminus dismisses the tale, but Hoagie agrees to go to the cave. After an encounter with Elliot in which all three, including Elliot, become frightened, Hoagie offers him some liquor as a gesture of peace, which triggers a fiery belch that chases them away. And I wrote down, Okay, I actually laughed out loud at Elliot being scared of his own shadow. Oh, yeah. I love that
1: Elliot was like, We're talking about a big scary dragon. Not me! Like, Elliot.
0: (laughs) It was my first real laugh of the movie. So, good on that. (laughs) The local fishermen complain about the recent scarcity of fish, and believe that Pete is the cause. Nora ri- reminds them uh, the fishing grounds shift from time to time, and that there's room for everyone in the town. And here we have the song "Room for uh there's room for everyone, sung by Helen Reddy, Sean Marshall, and an ensemble. And I wrote down that I don't know how many times I can say that the song is just okay, but nothing special. This is pr- uh, this this one is probably the most Disney-like, meaning I can picture it in Mary Poppins or Bedknobs and Broomsticks. But besides that, it's nothing that impressive, and yet another unnecessary dance scene. Four out of ten.
1: I think you hit why I kind of like this, because it's the most Disney-like of all the songs. Like, it feels like, a di- like ah, we had watching a live-action Disney movie. Mm. I gave it a five out of ten.
0: Okay. Hmm. Um, Nora takes Pete to start school, where he is punished unfairly by Miss Taylor, the strict uh, town teacher, as a result of Elliot's antics he enraged Elliot that is smashes through the schoolhouse and I wrote that Miss Ta- Miss Taylor is a monster and I wouldn't let her anywhere near a child
1: oh yeah she's so angry like an awful
0: yeah I watched this movie a couple weeks ago so I don't remember exactly what, what I what I didn't like about Miss Taylor but I, I wrote it down you know enough to put a note in there all right I didn't like her enough to put a note in there Dr. Terminus now convinced of Elliot's existence and having learned that that Dragon Anatomy has many medical uses makes Pete an offer for Elliot, to which Pete refuses. And here we have the song Every Little Piece, sung by Jim Dale and Red Buttons. And I wrote a somewhat comedic villain song, different from the others before it, but yet again, nothing that special, 5 out of 10.
1: Yeah, I gave it a 5 out of 10 as well. It's an okay song.
0: Yeah. And here's my note. I said, I also happened to notice how Jim Dale's lips, uh, lip movement movements were off. He was saying the same things as his lip movements, but they were just slightly off. And I wondered if the scenes were shot and uh, he used his natural British accent. And then in post, they gave him an American accent. You know, know
1: what? I noticed that too. And for a while, I was like, it's like the audio just off from the movie. you yeah. know that happens sometimes, but no, it's just him.
0: Yeah, it's specifically just him. So I think maybe when he was shooting it, he used his British accent. And they mm-hmm. were like, no, you got to be an American or, or whatever. I'm not sure. Pete gladly accepts Nora and Lampy's offer to live with them. And here we have the song. This is another thing, too, is that there's too many songs in this movie. Oh, my God, I know. <laughs> Again, like... Yeah. And,
1: like, you know, we know Mary Poppins, but, like, there was songs in that, but they weren't, like... It's, like, every scene we got. Yeah. Like, it's, like, full-on musical. Like, and we got that many songs. And I'm like, none of these things require songs. Yeah. And you just like... Just cut half of it. Sorry. No, Sorry, you're Sorry, F- Just cut half of it.
0: You... You like... You liked uh, bedknobs and broomsticks more than I, I did, did, and I liked Mary Poppins more than you. But I would say the worst bedknobs and broomsticks songs, and I think you would agree, the worst Mary Poppins songs are still better than the best songs in yeah, this movie. Yeah, yeah,
1: hundred percent. Yeah,
0: I don't know, but we have the song uh, "Brazzle Dazzle Day," sung by Helen Reddy, Sean Marshall, and Mickey Rooney. And I wrote that this song shows off Helen Reddy's vocal talents. Aside from that, just another average song. Once again, no pun intended accompanied by an unnecessary dance number and i'm starting to get annoyed with how many of them there are in this movie five out of ten this uh the score would be a four but helen reddy did do a fantastic job singing this song
1: i gave it a six but i also think that's probably because she was doing such a great job singing that i was like finally like trying to move past the fact that there was too much dancing and everything was awful at this yeah. point
0: and the everyone's favorite characters the gogans arrive in town and <laughs> confront them only to be uh, firmly defied by Nora, uh, thwarted by Elliot. Dr. Terminus makes a deal with them and convinces them that helping him capture Elliot will solve their problems. Which, I just, they they were unnecessary characters. Dr. Terminus (laughs) should have been the only villain, in my opinion, but whatever. And yet again, we have another song, Bill of Sale, sung by Shirley Winters, Charles Tyner, Gary Morgan, Jeff Conway, and uh, Helen Reddy. And I wrote, I wrote just stupid onto the next one, two out of 10. And
1: <laughs> I also gave it a two out of 10. It wasn't good. And yeah, I think like one of the things that could make this film better is just cut out the entire Gogan plot line. Like it's unnecessary. Yeah. Like it does it give him a sadder background. Yeah. But wasn't him like running away from home sad enough? Like yeah, just... we could have like literally cut these characters out and like we'd probably cut an entire like half hour out of the movie just cutting their entire plot line out.
0: Agreed. That evening, a storm is beginning to blow. Pete tries to tell Nora the good news that Elliot found Paul, and he's on his way home. However, she, still believing that Pete has just imagined Elliot, replies that there's no more need uh, for him to believe in Elliot. Even Lampy begins to doubt that he saw him. Undeterred, Pete helps Nora prepare the lighthouse for the storm. Out at sea, a sailing ship is approaching Passamaquoddy, its captain is assisted by Paul. Meanwhile, Dr. Terminus lures Pete to the boathouse, while Hoagie does the same to Elliot. Once there, Elliot discovers Pete, but is caught in an immense net. He frees himself and rescues Pete from the Gogans before they can escape. And I wrote a note here saying, okay, the invisible dragon caught in the net is a pretty cool mm-hmm. special effect for that time period.
1: Yeah, and I was telling Jason in the car that like, a lot of the special effects involving the animation are probably the only like really good things about this movie like how the animation interacts with the real life characters it's very well done for the time period
0: agreed and but we should expect that from disney at this point we should we should but but it's it is when we're looking for good things to talk about like the
1: one thing that's like a redeeming quality like that's it at this point
0: yeah (laughs) Yeah. elliot incinerates the bill of sale then douses the gogans with a barrel of tar before chasing them off. As Pete and Elliot celebrate, Dr. Terminus aims a harpoon gun at the ladder, but its rope is looped around his ankle and he is sent flying through the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And I wrote, uh, there was a smidgen of the goofy yell when Dr. Terminus is launched into the, uh, into the air. You mm-hmm. heard just a little bit of that. <laughs> After rebuking Dr. Terminus and Hoagie, Elliot saves the mayor and other townspeople from a falling telegraph pole revealing himself to the grateful townspeople. Back at the lighthouse, the lamp has been extinguished by the storm-driven waves. Elliot uh, comes and tries to relight it with his own fire. As he is doing so, Nora finally sees that he is real. After several failures, the lamp is relit and the ship is saved. And I I wrote a note here saying, there is absolutely no way that Elliot's little wings could possibly let him fly. His body is way too big for those little wings, but whatever.
1: Also, I want to know, like, most lighthouses are put on, and like you could say they're put on these giant cliffs. What giant wave came and like took out the light? And, a like giant wave. Like, if it came, that wave took out the entire town too. Yeah. Like, what? What are we even talking about? A oh, wave? No,
0: it was just a wave that went straight up. It didn't go out. It just went straight up.
1: <laughs> Listen, I know I gotta suspend disbelief sometimes, but like, that's like a. Okay, physics. Yeah. Water physics.
0: And I'm also talking about the physics of Elliot being able to fly. (laughs) It's impossible. As a reward for doing this, Nora gives Elliot a kiss. He is scared that he will become invisible after being kissed, and he does. The next morning, the townspeople praise Elliot for his help, and Nora is reunited with Paul, who, as it turns out, was the sole survivor of the shipwreck at Cape Hatteras. And here we have the song I Saw a Dragon Reprise, sung by a chorus, And I wrote down different lyrics from the first version and giving the feeling of wrapping up the story. Five out of ten.
1: Yes, I gave that a five out of ten as well. Okay.
0: However, Paul suffered total amnesia due to his ordeal in the storm. Then, one day recently, his bed suddenly tipped over, courtesy of an invisible Elliot. He bumped his head and got his memory back. That's totally how you cure amnesia. You just have to get hit in the head really hard. Every movie and TV show has taught me that. Now that Pete is safe and has a loving family of his own, Elliot reveals that he must go. He and Pete say their sad goodbyes and he flies off to help other children in need. And here we have the song Brazzle Dazzle Day reprise sung by Helen uh, Reddy, Sean Marshall, Mickey Rooney and Cal uh, Bartlett. And I wrote, "Thank goodness it's over, cool helicopter shot flying around the lighthouse on the uh, to end the film on." <laughs> and the song is just two lines. I gave it a 5 out of 10
1: gave
0: it a 5 out of 10 as well. Okay. So let's go into our overall scores. Would you like to go first? Oh, or... I will go
1: first. Okay. So, I I don't even know if I remember liking this kid or really seeing this film, like seeing this as a kid. Like, I don't remember much of this movie, but also, it was just a very long movie. Like I said, I the minute I saw it was two hours, I was like, oh, this is going to be a slog. Like, I knew already, because it's that time period, none of these things, like, if we... Um, It's too much dancing, too much singing. Like, this is not a musical. I assume it's not meant to be at the very least. And here we have a musical in full swing. Get rid of the Gogans. They're awful, awful characters. And as much as I like Elliot, like, I feel like there's not enough story going on in this two hours to, like, warrant this entire film. So I gave it a four out of ten.
0: Okay. And I wrote down, "Wow, so I remembered really liking Pete's Dragon when I was a kid, but watching it this time was just painful. It's long, the songs are average at best, and the characters are mostly annoying. Every time the Goggins were on screen, I wanted the movie to be over, and most of the comedy fell flat. I will say that I did enjoy Jim Dale as Dr. Terminus and Helen Reddy as Nora, but even their good performances couldn't save lousy songs or the overall film. The 2016 version of this movie is so much better." Skip this one, and I gave it a 3 out of 10.
1: I think this is the first time we've been really, really harsh on something. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've well, been... Well,
0: were, we were harsh on uh, on uh, Crimes of Grindelwald, too. Mm. I, we weren't as harsh as this, but and it pains me to say this, Crimes of Grindelwald is a much better movie than this. Not that I think Crimes of Grindelwald is a good movie, but it's much <laughs> better I think the thing is Crimes
1: of Grindelwald, its issues are like
0: the writer yeah like it's just
1: writing issues a hundred percent
0: yeah this has issues all around the board but at least it's not racist (laughs) you know we'll give (laughs) disney a point for that yeah yeah uh you know could have very easily i I, where was it i guess it was supposed to take place in new england like a new england type of town
1: i guess that would be my guess because
0: it has to be a coastal town
1: It gave me very, like, Connecticut. Yeah. Connecticut vibes.
0: I think the 2016 one takes place in, like, Washington State or something. Because I remember, like, redwood trees being in it. But maybe this was supposed to be... Because, like, the name Passamaquoddy, like, that's... I guess that could have been a New New England town named after some type of Native American tribe or something. I could
1: see there being one in, like, Connecticut or Massachusetts. Yeah. Right. Rhode Island. Passamaquoddy Rhode Island totally sounds like it would be a thing.
0: Yeah. Alright, well, anything else you'd like to say about it? Or... No, let's
1: end this. <laughs> okay. End our suffering, their suffering.
0: Alright, this has been the Once Again Podcast. Any questions, comments, or critiques can be addressed to our email at onceagainpod at gmail.com. Follow us on our social media accounts once again. Pod all one word on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you'd like to contribute to the podcast, we have several tiers available on Patreon.com/OnceAgainPod. As always, a like, follow, or share would be greatly appreciated. Thank you, and have a wonderful day. And remember, we will entertain you. We will always entertain you. Unlike Pete's dragon. <laughs>